Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Genesis chapter number 14. We're continuing our series in Genesis. We've been, uh, I think, week number 19 now, going verse by verse through the first book of the Bible, the foundation. Really, it's, it's vital. Genesis is a vital. It's the foundation upon the, which the rest of Scripture is built, and really the foundation of our faith. If Genesis is not true, then, then everything else that we believe crumbles. It is the foundations. In the beginning, God. And it, it tells us where we came from and where we're going and why we're here and all of those important questions. And we've been, we've been walking through this book here in 2022, and we're going to be in Genesis 14 today looking at the passage here this morning. I'm going to ask you a question. You don't have to answer it out loud, but what are you willing to fight for? In our lives, you know, it's, it's rare that we hopefully, if, if, that we hopefully it doesn't define our lives, that we get in a lot of fights, whether it's a physical fight or a verbal altercation or maybe online. And again, if, if that does define your life, that might not, you might want to check the fruits of the Spirit or love, joy, peace, goodness, temperance, long-suffering. You might not be Spirit-led if your life is defined by constant conflict and contention. But, but what are you willing to fight for? Some people fight over some dumb things sometimes, don't we? I, our family enjoys watching Judge Judy. Any Judge Judy fans in the house this morning? All right, I love Judge Judy. I watched one last night, and it helps me. It does. I, th- I love it. it. It helps me, like, think through problems and how to get to the bottom of situations and dealing with parenting. Like, I learned from Judge—and I, I, fa- I say our family loves Judy. I should rephrase that. I love Judge Judy. Some of our family endured Judge Judy so that I can watch her every now and again. And, uh, and this Thanksgiving, it's been a little more now than again. I've been enjoying a few Judge Judys over the last few days and over the holiday. And, and, uh, and, and one, of the, one of the saddest things, though, about Judge Judy— is seeing family and friends fighting over really dumb stuff. They'll bring the people in and they'll say, John is, is suing his, his sister, Jill, and, and Jack is suing his mother, and mother is suing their, their son, and, and it's like over dumb stuff, like broken down washers and dryers, and, 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 and I got a bad haircut, so I'm going to sue this barber, and, and, and they didn't give me the wig I was wanting with the right color highlights, and just dumb things, and I'm thinking, how sad is that? A, 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 a mother or a son suing their child over a $500 car down payment loan that was never repaid. And, and, I, and, I, and I watch that and I think, and I tell our kids, and sometimes it's actually some good training lessons about where, where wrong perspectives get you, but, but what, what a dumb thing to fight about. But we'll fight over dumb things, won't we, sometimes? Black Friday. I didn't watch the news yesterday, so I don't know if, or on Friday, if any of this happened, but people will fight over a $200 discount on a TV at Best Buy. There'll be all-out brawls and trampling and fighting over this deal on a PS5. 
People will fight over dumb things. Every weekend, people get in fights, and some end up in jail across our nation fighting for their favorite sports team, college football team or professional football team, and they'll get in fights. Now, the reality is often those fights aren't over the team. They're over pride, and somebody says something about their team, and you're not going to talk to me about that. And, but we get, over, get in fights over dumb things. There are a lot of things as Christians we shouldn't fight over. In fact, I'm going to preach on, a, uh, on that tonight. I'm act- I shouldn't say it this way. I'm, I'm, I'm a little more excited about my message tonight than I am this morning, but I'm, I'm excited about the message this morning, but I'm, I'm really excited about the message tonight in 1 Corinthians 3 at 5 o'clock. But I'll be talking tonight about, about the, the title of the message tonight is we need to grow up. There's some things we shouldn't be fighting about as believers, but there are some things we should fight for. We should fight for doctrinal truth and purity. There are some things we should fight for. And this morning from Genesis 14, I'm going to bring us a message entitled, Fight for Your Family. Fight for Your Family. Our last message in this uh, series was a couple of weeks ago before Thanksgiving. I preached a Thanksgiving message last week. A couple of weeks ago, and we looked at the life of, of Lot. One step leads to another. We talked about the power of small things in our lives. Remember the illustration of the O-ring and, and uh, that little piece of the space shuttle? And we, we talked about the power of small habits, small decisions, and how they can lead us to places we never would have expected maybe, and maybe places we never would have wanted to be. And we saw that in, in Lot's life in Genesis 13. And, and, and to give us a little context for those that might be joining us, Where we find ourselves, Abraham, uh, uh, God's plan to start his his chosen people, the nation of Israel, would come through the patriarch Abraham. Abraham has gone out into a place that God has led him. He has his nephew Lot with him, and God has blessed them greatly. Their business is booming, and they get into a conflict. And so because of that, Abraham says, I don't want to fight. Again, there's some stuff we're not going to fight about. We're family. I'm not going to fight over money. I'm not going to fight over, over business. We're family. Don't fight about that lot. We're not going to do that. So you pick where you want to go, and I'll pick where I want, and then I'll take whatever's left over, Abraham says. And we saw that, Genesis 13, and, and Lot chooses, makes a selfish decision and chooses the well-watered plains of Jordan. He pitched his tent toward Sodom, toward Gomorrah, and, and what ends up happening is Lot ends up moving his family into this vile, wicked place, this place that was just debauched beyond all degree to a, play, to a, to a point that God ended up destroying Sodom and Gomorrah with fire and brimstone. To this day, in our nation, we have a crime, there, there are laws on the book that are named after this city, the crime of sodomy, named after Sodom and Gomorrah. This was where Lot is living. And so where we come to when we get to Genesis 14 is Lot is living in Sodom and Gomorrah with his family. In the first the first 10 verses, for the sake of time, I won't read them, but the first 10 verses of Genesis 14, you can go back and read them. What happens is there's a war between nine kings and their kingdoms. There are two coalitions. There's a coalition of four kings and their kingdoms, and a coalition of five kings and their kingdoms, and the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah are a part of one coalition. And we have the the two kings, which is, again, where Lot is living, Uh, the two kings, Bera and Beersha, the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah were a part of this. Let's pick it up in in verse number 10. Chapter 14, I'd encourage you to follow along. Chapter 14, verse number 10, we're going to look at a, a few verses here in this chapter today. Verse number 10. The end of this battle, so it gives all the names of the kings in the first nine verses, and the vale of Siddim was full of slime pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled. So Sodom and Gomorrah, the battle comes, they begin to get overtaken, the kings run to save their own lives, and they fell there in the slime pits, and they that remained fled to the mountain. 
So what happens is Sodom and Gomorrah are, are overtaken, people are running for their lives. Verse 11, and they, the, the opponents, they, the, the coalition that was going against Sodom and Gomorrah, they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their victuals and went their way. So they get completely spoiled. Everybody's houses get ransacked, all their possessions are gone, all of these things. Lot lives here with his family. This includes his stuff. Then would you read verse number 12 aloud with me? Genesis 14, verse number 12. Ready? Begin. And they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom, and his goods, and departed. So not only do they take his stuff, but they take Lot and his family. They take some captives with them, and Lot is one of them. So now Lot's decision to lead his family into this wicked place has led to bondage in his family, has led to great heartache in his family, has led to his family being prisoners. This is where they're at in a godless kingdom, a godless country, a godless culture. Verse number 13, and there came one that had escaped and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the plain of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eskel and brother of Amor, and these were confederate with Abram. So one person that knew what had happened, that had seen them taking Lot's family away, one person, remember there's no cell phones, there's not national news, there wasn't a place to go. So one person, eyewitness, had seen Lot's family get kidnapped out. He comes to Abram and he tells him, your family got kidnapped, got taken, all their stuff got taken from there. And then look at verse number 14. It says, and when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. And, and I'll give you a spoiler alert. We'll see it here in a little bit in the message. What happens at the end? You read it. God gives them a victory. Lot is, is redeemed. Lot is, is rescued. Lot is brought back. His family, his stuff. Abraham rescues them. Abraham goes in with a covert military operation. He goes in and he rescues his family. Physically speaking, he brings them back. And, and now we can say even after that, Lot, Lot made a bad, in my opinion, made a bad decision to move right back into that place of wickedness, Sodom and Gomorrah. But Abraham had fought and rescued his family. I'm going to pull out a few applications from this idea of where we see Abraham willing to fight for his family and apply it to us today as Christians. Number one, I see here in, in, the, uh, in this passage, number one, a passion to fight. I see in Abraham's life a willingness, if you will, to fight. Now, when I say a passion to fight, this didn't mean Abraham was looking for a fight. In fact, he wasn't looking for a fight. Somebody came and told him. And by the way, Abram could have easily said, I'm a farmer, not a fighter. This isn't my fight. This isn't my choice. I, I wouldn't have encouraged Lot to live in Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot didn't ask for my help. This is not my situation. Lot's a grown man. Lot can do that. But Abram, when it was time to fight, he did not hesitate. He didn't say, well, I didn't choose this fight. Well, that's not my area. Well, that's not really what I need to do. No, there is an enemy who has attacked my family, and I'm willing to fight for my family. And may I just stop and say to each one of us today that you might say and look and say, I didn't choose this fight with a loved one, I, as far as when I'm not fight, but there, there's an attack on a loved one. There's, there's an influence in, in a loved one's life that ought not be there. The culture that we live in, I don't ascribe to all of the, the things in this culture, so it's not my fight. May I just stop and say, you and I as believers, we have a responsibility to fight for this generation. 
to fight for the, the next generation in our church and in our homes. And th th there's an enemy that's attacked my family. I'm willing to fight. Abram had a willingness, a passion to fight. The people of God should not be constantly looking for a fight. One of the requirements of a pastor is what? Not a brawler. A, a requirement of a godly pastor is not looking for a brawl. He ought not be looking constantly to be picking fights and finding out things. As believers, we are, we are, the Bible does say the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, all of those, but we are also not called to be pacifists. There are things that we are called to stand up for and to stand against as believers. The Bible does say in the New Testament, put on the whole armor of God. Why would we need armor? Because there's an enemy that wants to attack us, and it's a fight. I have fought Paul, they said, what did Paul say? It was in Timothy when he said, I have fought a good, what? Fight. So don't get this idea that as believers, we're just supposed to lay down and die and, and just let godless culture run all over us and all over our families and all over our churches and, and, and all over our society. No, 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 no. Now again, we need to have wisdom about when and where and how to stand and what. Don't fight over dumb stuff. Too often, Christians, we give in on the important stuff and we fight over the dumb stuff. We'll see that tonight in 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. We separate with godly believers over dumb stuff, and then we don't fight the stuff in our own lives and in our own families that is, that is ungodly and is, is wicked and is evil. No, make sure we're fighting for the right things, but be willing and ready to fight. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The weapons of our warfare are not, car are not carnal, they are spiritual. There is a spiritual war for the Christian that we must be willing to fight in the power of our God and the truths of his word. As culture and sin and the enemies of God cast their darts, don't lay down and die, Christian. I want you to see, number two, the place of the fight. At the end of verse number 15 says, he divided himself, them, he and his servants by night, and smote them, and pursued them unto Hobah, which is on the left hand of Damascus. Where was the fight? The fight was not on Abraham's home turf. The fight, Abraham had to go out of his comfort zone. And I think sometimes that we as parents and we as family, well, I, I'm just going to create somehow this little bubble, that, and that bubble might last for a little while, but we can't create. We have to be willing to take the fight where it is, where the enemy is attacking. What's happening in our lives and in our homes and in our culture and on our devices and those things, we've got to fight for, for our family, for, for, our, for our homes. There are wicked men seeking to take our families and everything we love and make them servants in their godless kingdom. That's what happened here. And Abram took the fight to them. By the way, Lot had chosen to put himself in a godless kingdom. And so sometimes we might say, well, that person, my loved one, they've chosen to allow that into their lives. They've chosen to allow, uh, they've, they've chosen to, to move into Sodom and Gomorrah, if you will. That doesn't absolve us of doing what we can to fight for them. Ye which are spiritual, restore such in one. Go after them. Wicked choices may have led your loved ones to be lost in the conflict, as it did with Lot, but keep fighting for them. No matter what led to the struggle, they are facing care enough to fight, to pursue, to reach out. Don't make excuses. Well, they're just going to have to live with their own consequences. By the way, you can't change their heart, and you can't make decisions for them, but you can fight, and you can love, and you can pray, and you can do what you can do to, to, with what resources you have to go after in, in godly love for those that have been taken away by a godless culture, if you will, a godless king in their lives. Lot didn't ask Abraham to help. 
But Abram said, my love for my family will lead me to do what is scary and uncomfortable to fight for those I love. You and I may have to go into their territory to fight. Number three, in verse number 14, I see the preparation for the fight. When Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, I want you to see this here. He armed, do you see that, that verb there? He armed, so there's, there's, that means there was, there was preparation, there was, there was um, there were supplies, there was armor, there was some sort of weaponry. He armed his, what's the next word there, church? He armed his what? Trained servants born in his own house, 318. You know what I see in this passage? Abram didn't wait until the battle was raging in his family, until the battle had overtaken his family to prepare for the fight. During peacetime, Abram understood there may come an attack on me and my family and my servants, and we may have to defend ourselves. And may I just stop and say, for those of us that are raising children, for those of us that have this opportunity, those of you that have grandchildren, the opportunity, the time to prepare for the battle is before the battle comes. Preparation for the fight, preparation for the battle. Abram didn't wait until the battle was in array. He had soldiers trained. He had armor. He knew that that may be coming. He prepared, spiritually speaking, this is why we must train while they're young, create habits of faithful church attendance when our children aren't struggling spiritually, work to win their hearts and develop healthy relationships before the enemy begins to attack. Uh, Pastor Sammy in the Spanish ministry just a week or two ago, they had a uh, Spanish family conference and they had a guest preacher in from the Dominican Republic who was speaking for three or four days in a row, and Pastor Sammy has made mention of a statement that this pastor made on a couple of different occasions to me. Pastor Sammy said when he said it, it convicted me, and it kind of woke me up, and he said in, he said in Spanish, it doesn't, it sounds a little better in Spanish, but he said it's this, he who educates first wins. He who educates, and Sammy said, am I educating? How am I doing reaching the heart of the next generation? How am I doing in training them in godly cultures while they're surrounded by ungodly cultures? How am I doing in teaching them scriptural principles while they're surrounded by, by, by humanist and sinful and satanic principles all around them? He who educates first wins. Who is educating our children? Who's educating your children? Who's educating my children? Who's educating our grandchildren? Is it godless music? He who educates first wins. Is it YouTube and TikTok and Instagram and, and why we must have daily training in our homes, teaching these things and helping them to think scripturally and trying to and, and hide God's word in their hearts and as they're walking through different things at home and at school and, and don't just try to take away the problems, no, try to prepare them, prepare the child for the path, not the path for the child, preparation for the fight. Abram, when the fight came to his family that he wasn't expecting and that he didn't ask for, when the fight came and pulled away his loved ones into a godless culture, Abram was ready to go to war. He was ready to go to battle. And when the fight comes to our families, will we have prepared in times of peace to try to go rescue them from a godless culture? We must prepare for the fight. We give our children to the world for 50, 60, 70, 80 hours a week and make sure they're at church 90 minutes every Sunday morning unless we have something more important going on, and then we wonder why we lose them to a godless culture. 
How's our preparation for the fight? As our children have grown older, and we have now two out of high school, and one is, has about a year and a half left of high school, and three teenagers last year in our home, and a couple of them now leaving and going to other places. I was, I've talked with many other pastors and parents and families, some in this room, who have raised their children to give me advice and to give me counsel as we're trying to shape and guide and shepherd their hearts. We can't control their hearts. They have sin, sin natures and they have free wills. They have to make a decision on their own what path they're going to take, but we can do all we can to prepare them for the fight. And as I've talked with many, some in this room and others that have raised their families and pastors and other spiritual leaders that I respect, almost every one of them have told me, it seems, Ryan, there comes a a point somewhere in their teen years where Satan makes a really strong play for their lives. So I can't explain it all, and for every kid it's a little different, but it seems like there comes a pivotal decision-making time where they have to decide, and there's a, a temptation, or there's a, a struggle, there's a relationship, there's, there's an addiction, there's something that comes into those, in those years, and, and they have to make a decision, and Satan makes a play, because if he can get them when they're 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, he knows he can destroy decades of fruitfulness and joy and blessing in their lives. And as they've told me that, you know, the thought for me is, okay, well, how am I doing preparing them for when that attack comes, for when that fight comes? We must be prepared with wisdom, with godly counsel, with healthy relationships, with biblical principles that guide our homes, godly mentors and influences. We can't wait until the battle comes and then say, I need a bunch of soldiers to help me fight. Abram, what if, well, we need to run to the store and buy 318 sets of armor. Can somebody order some, some arrows and some swords on Amazon? We need them here in a couple days. And does anybody here know how to fight? I don't understand how it all happened, but somehow he had enough to arm those who had been trained in his house, 318. He had done the work before the battle came. Parents, families, churches, youth pastors, Christian school teachers, grandparents, we need to do all that we can to prepare for the fight for our family because make no mistake, Satan would love to destroy your marriage. He would love to destroy your life. He would love to destroy your children and your grandchildren. There is a spiritual battle. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. There is a battle that will rage in our families. And Abram was prepared when the fight came, even though he didn't know when it would come. Train scriptural character and godly habits in our, in our children's lives long before the attacks come. Open up lines of communication before the world, the flesh, and the devil come knocking, trying to steal, kill, and destroy. A battle may be coming for your marriage, for your family, for your life. Prepare your mind, gird up the loins of your mind against lust, husband, against bitterness, wife, against the, the, the wrong thinking about that, that person at work. Prepare your, your mind before that attack comes on your relationship. What does the Bible say? Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not, what? Sin against thee. I'm going to prepare myself before the temptation comes so that now I have the strength, I have the weapons to fight against that battle. Number four, you're listening well. I'll try to wrap it up here. Number four, our partners in the fight. Abraham couldn't fight for Lot by himself. Do you see it in verse number 14? He he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 
318. He had 318 men willing to help him in the fight for his family. And may I stop and say God's plan is not for any of you to fight the fight that you will have to fight on your own. God's plan is not for the Christian to live the Christian life in isolation. You don't have to fight it in your own strength, you don't have to fight it in your own power, and you don't have to fight it on your own by yourself. God's plan, Abram couldn't do it alone, and you and I can't do this alone, and God didn't intend for us to. When you're struggling and being attacked by the enemy, that's not the time to isolate yourself. It's the time to reach out to those who are on your side. We need partners in this fight. If we're going to fight a good fight, finish our course. The song we sang, we're fighting a battle, he's already won, yes, but we need to fight a good fight as as those things come in our lives. What are our partners in the fight? One is God's Word. We're not fighting this alone. We have the power of the Word of God. When we don't know where to turn, turn to His Word. And when 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 your feelings and everything tells you, all your emotions say, do this, but the Word of God says, do this, go with the Word of God, not your own feelings. Our partners in the fight, we need God, we need His Spirit, we need His Word, we need His church. I sometimes, and I don't just say this gleefully, but I watch where people don't make the things of God a priority in their lives for weeks or months or years, and then the battle comes, and they look around, and I'm all alone in this fight. I I need some spiritual help. I need somebody to help guide me. I need a counselor, a pastor, a friend, a a brother in Christ. I need somebody to cry with, to to pray with, to help me. And by the way, if if that's you and you haven't been in church for a a long time and you need that, we're here for that. But God built in for us an army, if you will, to walk through the battles of life with, to help us fight those things. We need godly leaders. Be careful, parents, about tearing down spiritual authorities in your children or spouses' lives. There may come a time when you need their help in rescuing those who love you most. We need godly friends. The church of God is for the times of battle. Let's go to battle and prayer together. Encourage those who Satan has attacked. Encourage godly friends and mentors in their lives. And somebody does find themselves in Sodom or Gomorrah, don't stand there and say, I told you so. Say, how can we fight? How can we help? How can we love? How can we welcome back? They come back. It ought not be, well, yeah, you finally, finally wake up to, you finally, finally, finally figure out you're going the wrong direction? Oh, no. Show them the love of Christ forgiveness. Show them the grace and mercy of God. Read verse number 16, if you will. And he brought back all the goods and also brought again his brother Lot and his goods and the women also and the people. God gave an unexpected victory that they, sh- they shouldn't have won. And he can do that for you as well. And then lastly, I see the purpose of the fight. Why did Abram go to fight? Let's, let's read to the end of the chapter, verse 17. Let's read the next seven verses. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Chedorlaomer, and of the kings that were with him at the valley of Sheva, which is the king's dale, and Melchizedek, king of Salem. So you have the king of Sodom and the king of Salem. By the way, Melchizedek, there's definitely some pictures of Christ here. This is an interesting passage. That's another message for another time. But we have two kings. One is a spiritual king. One is a selfish king. Um, One is a picture or type of the world. One is a picture or type of Christ. But the king of Sodom comes to Abraham, and the king of, of, of Salem, Melchizedek, comes brings forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. 
And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thine hand. And he gave him tithes of all. So Abram comes and and he meets, and, and one king recognizes God. Verse 21, And the king of Sodom said unto Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. You see what the king of Sodom says? Give me the Give me the souls, you can have the spoils. Give me the stuff. Hey, Abram, you went, you and your army went, you, you, you recovered our people, you recovered our stuff, you got all, all of our, and, and here, you can have all the stuff, we want the people. By the way, the world, Satan wants your soul. He wants, he doesn't, he doesn't care, he'll give you stuff if it will make you complacent in fighting for the spiritual battles of your life. He comes and he says in verse 22, and Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up mine hand unto the Lord, I've made, a, I've made an oath, the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a thread even to a shoe latchet, that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou shouldest say, I've made Abram rich, save only that which the young men have eaten and the portion of the men which were, went with me, let them take their portion. Abram said, my purpose for fighting wasn't for selfish gain, my purpose for fighting wasn't to get rich, my My purpose for fighting wasn't to go get the spoils that were lost in Sodom. My purpose for fighting was the rescue of my loved ones. What was Abraham saying? King King of Sodom says, take the stuff and I'll take the people. And again, a reminder, Satan would love to give you a bunch of stuff if it would cause you to grow complacent so that he can have the souls of your family. We see that all around us in Orange County, don't we? People giving everything they have in life to get more stuff while losing their, their relationships and losing their families and losing those things that matter most while losing their souls. You can have the spoils, Abram, I'll take the souls. You can have the possessions, the king of Sodom said, I'll take the people. Abram said, I don't care about the stuff, I care about their souls. I don't care about finances, I care about my family. My priority is not my financial health, my priority is our spiritual health. The purpose of the fight, why do we work so hard? Why get up early and go to bed late? Why try to achieve and work? Why, why try to build whatever life you're trying to build? Is it for more stuff, or is it, is it for financial health, or is it for spiritual health? Now, finances is part of all of our lives. We all have to pay for food. We've got to pay uh, the ever-increasing, and I guess now the last week or two going down a little bit, gas prices and all of that stuff. We have to have money, but what are you living for? The purpose of Abram's fight here, he said, I'm not here to get more stuff. That doesn't tempt me at all. I'm here to save the ones that I love the most. I'm willing to sacrifice, and what are you fighting for? By the way, all of us are fighting for something. We're giving our time, our energy, our priority to to something, to build our own name, to build some great, great investment portfolio, to build some great business legacy. And by the way, if you're a business success, there's nothing wrong with that. Make sure you're using that for God's glory and for the good of other people. There's nothing wrong with that, but be careful that you don't get satisfied with a bunch of stuff while you lose the souls of those that should mean the most to you. You you succeed in life and fail at home. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What are we fighting for? What are we sacrificing for? What are we giving our lives for? 
earthly reputation or eternal rewards, spiritual growth or financial gain? What are you fighting for so your family can get ahead, so your kids can get into a prestigious college? And if God allows that, fine. But what is your purpose? To what end is all of that? Or is it for the souls that they will come to know the God who made them and fulfill his plan and his purpose for their lives? Fight for your family. It's a spiritual fight. The purpose for Abram was, was godliness, not gain. People, not possessions. Souls, not spoils. Is that the same for us? What are we fighting in this life for? I've got to make a name for myself. I've got to get ahead here. I've got to do that. Or is it, God, use me to rescue the people you put in my lives for your glory? To redeem, to train. I say redeem. He's the redeemer. But to train, to, to love, to, to, to bring up. As our children grow older, I, I, I believe this is true of my wife and of me. I believe I can say before you, I would give up my home. I would give up every, the, the car we have. I would give up my, whatever investment accounts I might have, meager though they might be right now in recent days. I would give up any of those possessions. I would give up any, I would give up any title, any position. Uh, we, we've had, in, in 22 years of ministry, there have been a conversation or two where I've talked to some of my loved ones in my family, and I've said, I will quit this job today if it means saving our relationship and saving your spiritual health and your life. My family, their spiritual lives mean more than any position, any possession, anything. I, I believe that's true. I hope it is. And I think all of us would say that that's probably the case for all of us. But if that's true, do our priorities and do our behaviors match what we say in that fight? Solomon, who was wealthy beyond measure and had so much stuff, he understood this, that the stuff in the end didn't really mean all that much. And so if you read the book of Proverbs, Proverbs is a great book. If you're not in the habit of reading the Bible every day, growing up, my pastor, who's now my father-in-law, used to say, a proverb a day keeps the devil away. Instead of an apple a day, keeps the doctor away. And, and Proverbs is a book of wisdom. There are 31 chapters in Proverbs. And so whatever the date is, this morning, one of our children asked me, what's the date, Dad? Because they wanted to open up Proverbs and read Proverbs 27. And it's, it takes about five minutes to read a chapter, and you can read whatever the date is. You can read on the 30th, you can read Proverbs 30, and on the 5th, you can read Proverbs 5. And it's just a book full of wisdom. And it's a dad talking to his son, saying, son, don't make mistakes here. Son, live in the right way here. Son, marry right, date right, handle your finances right, control your anger, be a hard worker, be honest, be dependable, be reliable, don't get mixed up in alcohol. All of these things, a dad speaking to his son, that's what Proverbs is. And Solomon, one of, at the time, the wealthiest man on earth who had everything this world had to offer. And you know what Solomon over and over and over and over again said? Son, the purpose of this fight, the purpose of this life, don't get mixed up thinking that it's all about the stuff you have. Who you are is far more important than what you have. It was a theme you see over and over and over again. He would tell his son, and this was a man that had everything. He went on every vacation, he had every possession, he had every mansion, he had all of it. And he said, son, just learn from me, trust me, who you are is far more important than what you have. I want you to read a few of his words before we close and ask yourself, what am I giving my life to? He said in Proverbs 15, verse number 16, better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. It's better to have a healthy spiritual life and maybe not as healthy of a financial life than the other way around. 
In Proverbs 16, verse 8, he said, better is a little with righteousness than great revenues without right. Proverbs 21, 9, he said, it is better to dwell in a corner of the housetop than with a brawling woman in a wide house. What did he say? Son, you'd be better off having harmony in your marriage and living in the corner of an attic somewhere than to have a mansion, an oceanfront mansion, whatever it might be, and constant conflict and contention in your marriage. Son, your relationships matter more than your real estate. Your stuff matters less than your family. Son, get your priorities right. What did he say in Proverbs 21, 9? It is better to, oh, I read that one. Proverbs 15, 17, better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a stalled ox and hatred therewith. What did he say? It'd be better for dinner to eat a kale salad and nobody likes kale. <laughs> and can I get a witness? Any kale fans in here? It's gross. They try to fry it and do all kinds of things to make it. Kale chips, just get rid of it. It's gross. <laughs> but he said, it's a better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a stalled ox. Filet mignon. Steak and... Javen woke up. Filet mignon. <laughs> He's preaching against it right now, Javen. All right, that's the wrong place to say amen. Then a stalled ox and hatred there. Now, if you can have both, have both. If you can have filet mignon and love, have both. But make sure you're fighting for the right reasons. You're shooting for the right stuff in your life. You're keeping your priorities right. Proverbs 22, verse number one, what did he tell his son? A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold. Your reputation and your relationships matter more than your financial picture. Rehoboam, would you listen to me, son? I, I achieved everything this world had to offer. And if you read Ecclesiastes, Solomon said, I tried it all, and you know what I found out? It was empty. It was vanity. It was vexation of spirit. So Abraham, don't get distracted Abraham, like Abraham did. He said, I didn't go into this fight to get more stuff. I went into this fight to, to redeem, to rescue, to restore the relationship of my loved ones. And I think for all of us, it's a good reminder for all of us to fight for our family. We have to be willing to fight some things in our own lives, in our own homes, in godless culture, in our entertainment, in what our children are learning and who they're learning it from. He who educates first wins. And we need to do that, that, that passion to fight. The place of the fight, it's not going to be a comfortable place. It's going to be out of our comfort zone. We're going to be out. We don't know the lay of the land. We might feel a little overwhelmed. All these things that are coming at my kids and my teenagers, and it's a little overwhelming. The preparation of the fight. We've got to start before the battle comes. And, and, and then we see the purpose at the end. God gave the victory. The purpose of this whole thing of why we're living is not just so that we can get ahead. It's so that we can give our lives to spiritual matters. So the question this morning, what are you living for, Christian? What are you fighting for? Fight for your family, for their salvation, for their spiritual protection, for their growth, for their relationship with you, fight for it. I read a, a parenting book years ago that had this word picture that we are, on a, we are on a rescue mission for our children's hearts. We've, we've got to go and fight for that. What did Solomon say in Proverbs? My son, give me thine heart and let thine eyes observe my way. Son, would you give me, I, I want this relationship. What did Abram say to Lot in Genesis 13? I, I don't care about stuff, I care about our relationship. Fight for your marriage. Fight for your family. Fight for those that you love. Fight for those things. 
Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.